Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Mark chapter 16, uh, verse 1. And uh, I'm reading from verse 1. The Bible says, When the Sabbath was over, uh, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body very early on the first day of the week. Just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Well, who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? But when they looked up, They saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell the disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him just as he told you. And so, Lord, we thank you for your spirit and for your grace and for your mercy. And we thank you that we can gather today to worship and to glorify you. So we go to the word, Lord, I just pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would speak to us. Just anoint my lips, Lord God, anoint our hearts to receive this, your word. Bind every spirit of fear and intimidation. Just let there be freedom, Lord God. Holy Spirit, come. You're you're the one that helps us to understand your word. Open our eyes to hear from you. We've come with a sense of expectation. Uh, And Father, we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, what a great day it is today to uh, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The title uh, for the message this morning is Believe Again. It's kind of along the same theme as what I preached on uh, on Friday night for those that were here. Story of Jesus' death and resurrection is recounted in each of the four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Each Gospel gives us a perspective, a view of what happened uh, that first Easter. And as you combine each story, um, kind of like a, a, a jigsaw, puzzle, each perspective, you get a fuller picture of what actually happened that first Easter. But more than just helping us understand what happened, what were the events, what was the sequence of the events that first Easter, each gospel helps us understand what the death and resurrection of Jesus actually means, and more than anything else, what it means to you and me today. Each gospel gives us a picture, helps us to understand how this story that happened so many years ago actually applies to our lives. You see, the power of Easter is not just in remembering a a historical event. It's not just about celebrating a date that happened some 2,000 years ago. The power of Easter is that it speaks to us today about the difference that Jesus can make in your life and my life today. That's the power of the Easter story. It speaks about the incredible transformation that we can experience in our lives today. And those of us that are sitting here that are, that are believers in Jesus Christ could testify to the incredible difference that Jesus can make and is making in our lives. The Bible says this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. 
Jesus didn't come some 2,000 years ago to start a religion or a political movement. Jesus came so that through a relationship with him, we could experience life and life in abundance. He came so that the dead things in our lives could be brought back to life. Um, Maybe there are some of you here this morning and there are some things in our lives that may, may seem dead. It just, it just may seem like this is finished. And you're saying there doesn't seem to be any hope for my future, for my marriage, for my family or for my health. I want you to know that the God who we serve is the God who can make dead things come back to life. You see, when they crucified Jesus that on, on, on that Friday, he was there on the, on the cross and, 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 then, and then he died. And at that point, it looked like it was finished. It looked like it was the end. It looked like there was no hope. In fact, the disciples were scattered because they said, well, he's dead. We didn't expect him to die in this manner. And so many times in our own lives, it looks like there are certain things that just seem finished. They just seem dead. There doesn't seem to be any hope. But the reality was that Jesus was not dead. On three days later, he rose from the dead in the name of Jesus. We serve the God who can bring dead things back to life. John said, whoever has the son has life. So what I want to do today is look at one of the one of the resurrection accounts from the Gospel of Mark, as we read in our text, and in particular, I want to take a couple of thoughts out of here. As we read in our text, the Bible says that Mary and some of the women had gone to bring spices to the tomb. They were discussing on the way, well, you know, who was going to, who was going to roll away this, this massive stone that they had placed in front of it? Well, when they got there, they found the stone had already been rolled away, and so they went into the tomb. And there was a man dressed in a white robe sitting there, and they were alarmed. I just love the way the scripture puts it. They were alarmed. Another translation says they were astonished, um, shocked, uh, says another, another translation. Some people say, you know, I'd love to see an angel. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> uh, you would be scared. You would be uh, alarmed, astonished, and shocked. And trust me, that's not a great feeling. So the angel speaks to them and says, don't be alarmed. Oh, right. Oh, thank you. He said, uh, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not there. And then he says, go and tell the disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. So there's two thoughts I want to take out of these texts. Two, two simple thoughts that I pray would speak to us uh, this morning on this Easter Sunday. The first of the thoughts that comes from the text is the fact that Jesus is risen. The angel said, he has risen. Uh, he's not here anymore. He's no longer in the grave. And, and this thought is so important for those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ. It's a simple thought, but it's a powerful thought. What we're celebrating here today is what marks the difference between Christianity and every other religion that, that exists. Some people say, well, what's the difference between you know, Christianity and, and, and the other various religions? You see, all religions have a founder, some moral code. All of the founders died at some point and some even died a martyr's death. But unlike every other leader, Jesus died and three days later, he rose again. And since that event, billions of people have been influenced by the message of the cross, by the message of what Jesus has done. And friends, that's not just some hearsay. That's not just myth. That's actual historical uh, uh, fact. And the resurrection is so significant that Paul said, and if Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. What makes the, 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 the life of Jesus so significant wasn't his birth and his teaching, all the miracles that he did, and all of that was pretty amazing and it was significant. But what was most, the most significant thing about Jesus was the fact that he died, and three days later, he rose from the dead. What differentiates Christianity from every other religion is that we serve a risen Savior. 
He's not some dead man that's buried in some tomb. He is alive. And he has risen from the dead. And as Christians, the resurrection speaks to us about so many things. Um, and, you know, we could focus on this. But let me just highlight one or two things. And it speaks to us about the fact that God can be trusted. Uh, all throughout the Old Testament, there were all these prophecies that spoke about Jesus coming, uh, where he would be born, that he would be born of a virgin, what kind of life he would live and how he would die and where he would die. Uh, read the Old Testament and, 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 and you'll see the, the many prophecies that spoke about Jesus coming and his life. In fact, every book of the Old Testament speaks to us about Jesus. And the fact that Jesus rose from the dead speaks to us about the fact that God's word can be trusted. This is so important and so significant. People often talk about Nostradamus and the prophecies and, and so on. They go, ooh. But you know, listen, listen if, if, if you study the word, you will see hundreds of prophecies that were given about Jesus Christ. And each of them has come to pass. Why is this so significant? Because it reminds us that God is a faithful God and that God can be trusted. Resurrection speaks to us about the deity of Christ. All the other leaders and religious uh, 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 gurus have spoken about the afterlife, but only Jesus rose from the dead. He did so because he was the son of God. Resurrection speaks to us about the fact that we can be forgiven. You see, Jesus paid the price right there at Calvary for every single one of our sins. He was the ultimate sacrifice. He paid the penalty for our sin. And if we would just accept him as our Lord and Savior, we can be forgiven. Resurrection speaks to us about eternal life, that one day we shall be reunited with Christ, that after we die here on earth, that that, that, is, that is not the end, that we continue to live. Hebrews says this, and now dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know that what, what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. What gives us hope of eternal life is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That one day we shall be reunited with those that have gone uh, before us. The first thought I, I want us to take from this text is that we, re we, we serve a risen Savior. He is risen. Uh, he's no longer buried in some tomb, in some grave. The second thought, and that's the one I want to focus on this morning, comes from um, the, the, ver the second verse, the verse 7, uh, and it's about restoration. The angel goes on to say, But go tell the disciples and Peter, he's gone ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. No notice what the angel says. Uh, he says, go and tell the disciples, but make sure that you tell Peter as well. Wait, wait, wait a minute, wasn't Peter one of the disciples? Uh, wasn't Peter one of the 12? Why does the angel say, go and tell Peter? Why does he single out Peter in this particular text? Well, it's a powerful thought to me, and, and as I reflected on this, to me it speaks about the power of the Easter story. It speaks to us about the essence of what Easter is really uh, all about and what it means to us today. You see, one of the reasons why he mentions Peter is because Peter had failed incredibly. Uh, Peter had, had failed miserably. Uh, I've spoken about Peter on a number of occasions from the pulpit here. I kind of like Peter because he reminds me of... Um, me, you know. <laughs> Anybody ever made a mistake at some stage in their life, sometime? 
Maybe not. Okay, so I'm the only one, but that's cool. Uh, I can identify with Peter. Um, for the sake of those who might be visiting here today, Peter was one of the disciples. He had a little problem. He just had a, a, a minor little issue. Uh, from time to time, he would find his foot in his mouth. Uh, just, just, I don't know how it got there, but it, but it would get there. Uh, he would speak and then think later. Uh, you know, he would say things and, and then think later. One, one time, it's a beautiful scene. You know, he, he's saying, oh, Jesus, you are, you are the Lord and you are the Son of God and so on and so on. And then Jesus starts speaking about the fact that he was going to be crucified. So I love the way the text actually puts it. It, it says, you know, Peter grabs Jesus and, and, and pulls him aside and just starts giving him, uh, you know, starts telling him that what he's saying is wrong, you know, starts kind of giving him a mouthful. And Jesus uh, also responds that way. Can you imagine Peter thinking that he can, he just said he is the son of God and here he is trying to correct him. But the big failure of Peter is that before Jesus died, he told his disciples he was going to die on a cross and they would desert him. And Peter says to Jesus, everybody else may desert you, you Jesus, but you can count on me. I'm, I'm going to be with you to the end. I'm going to be the one who's going to stand by you. And Jesus says to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And we know the story as it's described in the text. You know, uh, certainly as Jesus was arrested, the disciples were scattered and Peter is there watching from a distance. And this young girl says, aren't you one of the disciples? And Peter says, oh no, I was not one of the disciples. And then this happened not once, not twice, but three times. Three times he denies Jesus. And the, the, the account in Luke is so beautiful because it says, when he denies him three times, he hears the rooster crow. And on top of that, and on top of that, the, the gospel in Luke is, is a powerful text because what it, what, it, what it tells us that he locks eyes with Jesus. He, he locks eyes with Jesus and he's, he re, he's, he's remembered the words that he had spoken so confidently just a little while back. I'll be with you to the end. And he's just denied him. Can you imagine what Peter was feeling at that moment? Can, can you imagine the emotions that he was feeling at that moment? Can, can you imagine the shame, the guilt, and the regret that he was feeling at that moment? Try and picture yourself in Peter's shoes. Here he is, this strong and mighty. He's just spent three years with Jesus. Jesus has poured his life into him. He's encouraged him. He's defended him. He's been there right with him. And at, and at, and at a moment of truth, he denies him three times. Could you imagine the amount of times he went over what happened in his mind? Can you imagine the utter sense of despair that he was feeling in that moment? Can you imagine how he beat himself up? Can you imagine the shame and regret? Can you imagine how many times he said, if only I'd done things differently? Can you imagine how many times he recounted the scene in his head? You know, he went there and he said, well, why did I say that? We know that Peter was affected by this event because he went back fishing. He was a fisherman. He left everything to follow Jesus. And it, there's this critical moment, this moment of truth in his life, this moment where it all counted and he failed miserably. And so what does he do? He gives up on all of that and he goes back fishing. What I love about the text in Mark is the angel says... Go and tell the disciples and Peter. I want you to know that that simple phrase ought to encourage all of us here today. 
Because I've no doubt that there are people sitting in this congregation who may have failed just once or twice. I'm sure that there are people sitting in this congregation who failed sometime, who thought they were strong, who said, oh, I'll never stoop that low. I'm not like everybody else. You don't understand, Pastor Joe. I'm just a little bit different. No, I do understand the person sitting next to me. They're a bit, a bit of a weakling. <laughs> oh, but not me, Pastor Joe. I'm strong. Not like everyone else. But in a moment of weakness, we did something, said something. Something happened and we've not been able to pass that. You've rehearsed that scene in your mind so many times. You've said, if only I hadn't said that or done that. If, I, if only I'd have walked away. But now, now, now we, we didn't. We didn't. And, and now we have to deal with this thing. So many people have this concept that God is this angry, judgmental, disciplinarian kind of God that looks forward to humiliating us and exposing our weaknesses. Some of us have a concept that God is just like that. Some of us have this concept of God that he can't wait till we make a mistake because when, he, when, when we make a mistake, he starts to rub his hands and, he's, and he has this smoky green on his face. Some of us have a concept that God is like that. Maybe people are like that, but that's not the God that we serve. Go and tell the disciples and Peter. Isn't that beautiful? It, 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 you know, it, it, so everything that's been written in Scripture is there, is there for a reason. And I love this. We could, have just, we could have just shortened this by two words. Go and tell the disciples, but make sure you tell Peter. Simple phrase that in the, reminds us that God is the God of grace and the God of mercy. Come on, church. He's the God of grace and he's the God. How many people are glad that he's the God of grace and he's the God of mercy? Easter speaks to us about a thousand different things. But one of the things it speaks to us is the fact that the God that we serve, he's the God of grace and he is the God of mercy. Psalm 103 says this, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. I don't get tired of preaching that verse. I don't get tired of recounting that verse because even in my own mind, so often I think it's the complete opposite. And this verse reminds me that God, who God is, it reminds me of the character of God. It reminds me of the nature of God. It reminds me of who God actually is. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love for those who fear him. How big is that? How high are the heavens above the earth? Well, they've sent out a telescope out there and it's still going because they still haven't got to the end. I don't know about you, but that seems to be quite a bit to me. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That little phrase reminds us that God is the God of grace and mercy. That he's the God of the second and third chance. God is speaking to us today because I suspect that there are people in this congregation who for whatever reasons have disqualified themselves. There are a lot of people in this congregation who, who like Peter, have disqualified themselves, who said, you know what, you know what, I, 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 I'm excluded from all of this. That because of something they've done, something that's happened, hope has died. And as you look at your life, you say, I, 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 don't, I don't think there's any hope for my life, for my marriage or for my family. 
That little phrase speaks to us about the fact that we can believe again. Come on, church. That little phrase teaches us that we can believe again. That little phrase teaches us that God is interested in our well-being. He's not only interested in those perfect types, the ones who get it always right, the ones who do everything right. He's also interested in those of us that from time to time blow it. The angel says, tell Peter, And as you look throughout the life of Jesus, you see this again and again. The Pharisees bring this woman caught in adultery to Jesus. They say she deserves to be sown to death. That's what they think. That's what people think. With our mistakes, that's what they think we should do. Jesus, who had every right to condemn her, says, Well, okay, smarty pants. Uh, He who is without sin, why don't you grab the first stone and throw it? And Jesus starts writing in the sand. It's beautiful. I love it. A lot of speculation about what he was writing. But what's interesting is that the older guys ran, started going, because they were concerned about what he was writing in the sand. And then the young ones, that's the beautiful ones, they're the ones, oh, no, I think, I think we got this one, I think we got this one. But he's writing, and the older ones are leaving, and then he said, let's get out of here before this gets tough. Jesus is left with the woman. What an opportunity. And he says to her, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's beautiful. Jesus was walking and he stops at a man called Zacchaeus. We talked about him Friday night. He was a chief tax collector. That's pretty bad. That's not just, he wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. They were the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst in society of their time. And Jesus could have rebuked him and accused him, but he doesn't. He's walking along in a crowd. Zacchaeus is on a tree and he stops there and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Because listen carefully, Jesus does not respond to our actions. He responds to our heart. And he always has time for those that are seeking him. So often we judge people according to their actions. So often we judge people according to the exterior. But aren't you glad that God doesn't look at our exterior? He looks at our hearts. And he stops at Zacchaeus because he saw something in his heart. Jesus had risen from the dead and Peter had gone back to fishing and no doubt he disqualified himself. No no doubt he'd given up on himself because of his failure. And here was the angel who says, here, here was the angel who says, go and tell the disciples, make sure you tell Peter as well. Tell Peter that he is accepted. Just that little phrase, it spoke so much. There was so much in that little phrase. Tell Peter that he's accepted. Tell Peter I haven't finished with him yet. Tell Peter not to let one dumb decision destroy his destiny. Tell Peter that he's accepted. Tell Peter I'm still interested in him. Tell Peter that what I spoke into his life way back three years ago, I'm still concerned about him. Fast forward to 50 days and after the resurrection of Jesus, 120 people are in an upper room and they're waiting for the Holy Spirit and they're amongst the 120 120 people. Guess who was there? It was Peter. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes. The Bible says there was a sound of wind, tongues of fire appeared and they all began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And and this was an incredible phenomenon. This was, an, this was an amazing phenomenon. They didn't know what to expect. They were just told by Jesus, go to Jerusalem, go into the upper room and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Church is being birthed right there at that moment. 
And what's interesting, they're about to have their first service. Few of them are gathered together. All right. And they're talking to each other. Okay, who's going to do the songs? Who's going to do the announcements? Who's going to do the offering? Who's going to, pre- who's going to preach the very first sermon? I mean, they're, they're talking with each other. Why don't you do it? No, I don't want to do it. You do it. You do it. Question, who's chosen to preach the very first sermon? The, the, the very first sermon that the, the, the church is going to preach, who is chosen to preach the very first sermon? I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus, I would have picked John. He was the good one. He was the one that Jesus loved. He was the favorite disciple. He was the one uh, at the cross. He says to John, take care of Mary. He didn't say it to Peter. He said it to John. I don't know about you, but if I was going to pick someone to preach the very first sermon, I I, I mean, John, John ran too, but I think he was the better of all of them. You know what I mean? Uh, there was also James, maybe. Maybe if it wasn't John, he could have picked James. James was his stepbrother. He certainly could have picked him. Keep it in the family, you know what I mean? Neither of them were chosen. This, this is powerful. First person to preach the first message was Peter. And Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice. Look at this. A few days before, he had denied Jesus. He had turned his back on Jesus. And here he is. And Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. He goes on to quote the prophet Joel. And then he says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't know what you're going through today. But I want you to know that Easter speaks to us about a number of things. It speaks to us about the fact that we serve a risen Savior, that we don't serve some dead God, some dead human being that's in some grave somewhere. It's not the God that we serve. We serve a risen Savior. We don't serve a statue. We don't serve, we we, we serve a risen Savior. He's alive. It also reminds us that despite our biggest failures and biggest regrets, through Jesus, we can believe again. We can believe again. We can try again. We we, we can come again. Because he hasn't finished with us yet. In California, there's a place called Death Valley. Uh... It's a place that's uh, dry, dusty. Uh, it's called Death Valley for a reason because hardly, they hardly ever get any rain. And nothing survives in that kind of climate. Oh, here's a picture. Thank you. <laughs> that's what it looks like. It's a terrible place. It's hot. Um, I read an article that um, uh, they're forbidding people from um, frying eggs on the road. <laughs> Uh, that's how hot it is. Uh, they can fry their eggs on the road. It, it's that hot. And uh, the fact is nothing lives there. Nothing survives there. As you can see from that picture, it's dead. It's dull. It's dry. It's ugly. It doesn't speak of life at all. What it speaks to us about is death. But here's the interesting thing. Uh, in December 2004, there was an unusual weather pattern that happened. And it kind of happens from time to time. But in a few days, there were seven inches of rain that fell in this valley. 
seven inches of rain. Here's a photo of what happened a few months later. Because of that rain, suddenly, uh, all of this started to appear. Here's a thought. There are some of us who feel like Death Valley. We look at ourselves, at our life, at our past, and we we don't see any hope for the future. We're kind of like Peter. It feels like everything's dead. It feels like everything's finished. I want you to know that even though everything looks dead in your life right now, God sees seeds of greatness just below the surface. I know that on the surface, it looks like it's dead and finished. I know that on the outside, someone may look at it and say, it's finished. That's what they did with the cross and they walked away. It looked like it was finished. It was Saturday and it looked like it was finished. It looked like it was gone. But it wasn't finished. God sees seeds of greatness just below the surface. God doesn't see our past. He sees our future. God doesn't see our failures. He sees who we can become in Christ. Easter reminds us that we can believe again. Easter reminds us that no matter how bad our past has been, we can start again. We can have another chance. We can try again. Peter's preaching that first sermon and he's speaking about Jesus, why Jesus came. And people are, people are asking and they say, well, well, what do we need to do? Peter responds and says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift. Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what we're going to do in just a few moments. Baptism is a declaration. It's a picture of what Easter represents. It's a picture of what happened that first Easter. It's a declaration that we belong to Jesus. We've died to the past, washed clean, our sins are forgiven, and we're raised to new life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, I, I don't know who you are here today, but I know that there are there may be some people who have have all these preconceived ideas about God. We live in a nation that ultimately looks at ways to to uh, to expose all the faults of the church and of Christianity. I hear very few articles in the newspaper or on television that say, "Hey, the church is doing a really good job." Now, the fact is the church isn't perfect. There is no such thing as a perfect church. There are some that are close, but there's no such thing as a perfect church. There isn't. This church has got its flaws too. You just have to scratch the surface and you'll see some of the flaws here too. One of them is standing talking to you right now. (laughs) Church isn't perfect. The world we're living in is speaking a message about God. Describes Him as an angry God, a judgmental God, a God that is not interested in your well-being. 
It's a message that's being preached continuously. Oh, it's not on a pulpit, but I can tell you it's a message that is being preached. It's a message that's being preached in our universities, in our, in our schools. They say, oh, the Bible, oh, that's just a historical book. Don't put your faith in that book. Science, science is what you need to put your faith in. And I don't know what your, pre- your ideas are about God, but this passage in Easter reminds us that we serve a loving God, a gracious God, a God who is interested in your well-being, a God who created you for such a time as this. You are not an accident. You are not the, the product of some big bang. You, are, you, are, you were created by God and He has a purpose for your life. He has a plan and a purpose. For, he loves you. He loves you with an incredible love, with an an everlasting love. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever should put their belief in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that, that kind of life is not just eternity one day. Oh, I'll get to heaven and then I'll experience life. It's the kind of life that we can experience right here and right now. Go go and tell the disciples, but but make sure you tell Peter. Make sure you tell Peter, because I haven't finished with him yet. And there may be some of you here today, you've excluded yourself for whatever reason. You've kind of set yourself apart. You've said, you know what? I've blown it. I, I want you to understand and I want you to know that through Jesus Christ, We can believe again. We can believe again. We can believe again that we are accepted in Jesus Christ. He hasn't finished with us yet. Would you stand with me?